Hey everybody, it's another episode of the Hockey Show Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm John. Happy to be here and talking hockey and getting into all things that has been the past week of the NHL. Uh, we're here a day earlier because, well, if you are listening through the station stuff, you know there's a lot of James Madison basketball going on. So my schedule is busy, John. Yay. You're welcome, listeners. Yeah, day early. But uh, it's going to be fun to be here because uh, let's just get into it. Uh, Hockey Hall of Fame, we got a new class. They went in. Roberto Luongo, Danny Alfredson, and uh, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, as far as NHL players go. Uh, now hockey hall of famers. Yeah, it, there's a there's a lot of really interesting historical stuff uh, related to their careers. Do you want do you want to dive into some of that? Because a lot of them just have really fun stories. Yeah, let's let's talk their stories, and then after that, we can maybe like if after the story somebody still is uh, we don't think deserves to be here, we can dive into that and dissect that as well. Sure. Uh, so Roberto Luongo, uh, I. What it always really draws me to his story is just how much his early career was so chaotic. And for him to still go on to have such a Hall of Fame career is really, really cool. Uh, so he, when he started out playing, he was a forward until he was about 11 years old. Uh, he always kind of wanted to play goalie. His parents didn't really want him to. Uh, then one day, uh, their regular goalie doesn't show up. He kind of begs his mother to, and she, uh, begrudgingly lets him, uh, try the position and he pitches a shutout his first game. Uh, granted that's as an 11 year old, but still kind of cool. Uh, he went on to play for Valdor in the KMJHL gets drafted fourth overall by the Islanders. And we all remember who the GM of the Islanders was at the time. Don't we, Nick? Milbury. Yes, brilliant hockey mind that is Mike Milbury. Yep, I I, I and then runs him out of Long Island, which I, I, uh, happened to a lot of players back then. I, I I texted my buddy that's an Islanders fan, just being like, "Dude, like I'm reading about Luongo and how much Mike Milbury screwed this team over in a single year is absolutely remarkable." What was it? He dumped Luongo and Chara, I think, the same year. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, and they went with Sammy Sallow, I believe, as their goalie over Roberto Luongo. No, they no, went... it wasn't Sammy Sallow. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. We'll okay. get to that because <laughs> you got to remember, I spent a lot of time at the mausoleum in those days, Jara uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, Luongo being there for that short time. So I got to see a lot yeah. of these. Uh, I got to see Roberto Luongo as a young rookie, but we'll get there. That's awesome. Like in yeah. <laughs> when, when I played NHL 2003, they didn't have a uh, the feature to kind of you know let yourself be drafted or anything like that. So I just like closed my eyes and like moved up and down to pick a random team, and it landed on the Islanders. So I feel very well versed in Islanders history. If we're going to talk about <laughs> Alexi Yashin, Mark Parrish, Michael Pekka, that sort of thing. Uh, beyond that, maybe not as much. But so uh, Roberto Luongo gets picked fourth overall uh, They f- it, with a pick that was originally owned by Toronto. Uh, they traded Wendell Clark, Matthew <laughs> Schneider, and DJ Smith, who is currently coach of the Senators, was involved in this trade uh, for this first overall pick that ended up being fourth overall in 1997. 
Uh, Clark. I have a autograph. So let's just let for a second. I have a Wendell Clark Islander autograph. That's awesome. <laughs> Better known as a leaf, but it's still really yeah. funny that you have that. It's, I can't believe that I have that. Holy crap. Gotta go to Models. They used to be there. <laughs> so uh so Luongo goes back to junior for a year, uh, comes to camp, uh, doesn't really make the team. He's, he was a little bit in, inconsistent for trading camp. So they sent him back to junior for another year after that. Uh, then eventually uh, the next year, uh, 99, 2000, he's, uh, it, he's in their uh, minor league team, which was Lowell at the time, I want to say. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he, their backup goalie gets injured. They bring him, they bring Luongo up. He plays his first game, does well that season. Uh, eventually he, uh, does so well. They decide they don't need Felix Potvin. Uh, so they trade him to Vancouver for Kevin Weeks to back up Luongo. And this is the tandem that they're going with. I hear Potvin sucks. Different Potvin. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, so this is the year 2000, and he, despite this trade being made, he really finds a way to get into Mike Milbury's doghouse. Uh, Mike Milbury, like, when in a game where he ended up allowing eight goals, uh, Milbury blamed it on the fact that Luongo was looking for an apartment earlier in the day. Uh, just, oh, you can't be doing that in the NHL, which is, like, classic Mike Milbury nonsense and yeah. and Not Luongo you find a house to live. Yeah, and Luongo even said at the time he's like my like normal game day routine wasn't thrown off by looking at one apartment, but okay. Yeah. Uh so but going into the 2000 draft, uh the Islanders who now have the first overall pick pick your friend and mine, Rick DiPietro. Oh, that's right. And a few weeks later uh, Milbury, when and you know, if you had Di Pietro starting off and Luongo as a senior, senior guy or even as a battery, that wouldn't be that bad. Uh, but a few weeks after that draft, Mike Milbury is so confident in Rick Di Pietro's abilities, he trades Luongo and Ole Jokinen to Florida for Mark Parrish and Oleg Kavasha. Oleg Kavasha. Wow, that's a that's John. A I've never heard of Oleg Kavasha. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Yeah. And and <laughs> and like the whole story to it is just so remarkable how much missing on a first round draft pick can set your franchise back, much less trading the other guy that would be in that position. Yeah. Uh so so like to compare this to a draft, let's look at 2012. The Oilers select Nail Yakupov really doesn't end up working out all that well. Nope. Second overall that year, Ryan Murphy Murray goes to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mikel Grigorinko goes third overall to Montreal. So you can kind of look at that and be like, well, yeah, Nail didn't really work out for him, but you can make the argument that no one in that draft really would have. No. In the 2000 draft, Rick DiPietro goes first overall. Do you know who was second and third that year? Uh, wasn't it the Sedins? Uh, Sedins were 99. 99. Uh, second for 2000 was Danny Heatley. Oh, wow. And third overall was Marion Gabrick. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so a lot of times you can define a draft just based on you just basing it on 
who else was available and who else went. And to know that you could have had either one of those elite forward, like what happens to that Islanders team if they add a Marion Gabrick or a Danny Heatley and keep Roberto Luongo in that? I mean, and, well, that was a team that used to sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed and over exceeded as uh, with Alexa Yashin. Yeah. And Pekka as their one, one, a one B center combo. So yeah, that would have been a hell of an addition to add either one of those two. Cause they came in and they were, they were dominant rookies right away. Yeah. And, and I don't know if adding that would have gotten them past those early 2000s devils teams, but Probably not. It, those teams were just straight defense, no matter how much offense you threw at them. Yeah. But it certainly would have helped. Yeah. They might not have been an eight seed. They could have snuck in. You know, they could have. It's all about getting to the playoffs. uh, But your seeding matters as well when you get there. So, you know, they could have ended up with a better seeding and had a a more favorable matchup than being a one versus eight seed. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Luongo goes to Florida, does pretty well there, uh, eventually ends up being traded to Vancouver. And Mm -hmm. the rest is kind of history from there. So just knowing how much chaos was like that earlier in his career and what he eventually went on to do, I always thought is probably the cool one of the cooler stories of his career. Yeah, uh, again, I remember him. For, it's weird how I remember that short time he was an Islander, but growing up on Long Island, you know, you remember those types of players, those guys that came through, getting the chance to see him play at the mausoleum and stuff, and. Uh, yeah, I, I thought he's always been a really solid goalie his entire career. Uh, it's crazy to think back on those those Islander teams back then and what Mike Milbury did and how piss poorly he really managed that team at times and set them back uh, pretty hardcore with a move like that because you have now a Hall of Fame goalie that you ran out of town for Rick DiPietro, which, let's granted, nobody saw Rick DiPietro's career going down the tube that way. But you had a really solid goalie there ready to begin with, and you ran him out of town for Oleg Kavashev. Yeah, uh, <laughs> to, to, to make to make Di Pietro your default starter before he even plays a single game for you, uh, to me that is a real big risk, and we kind of see why. It, it is, but you know, we did talk about Flurry last week. And that's a player that, but that was a whole different situation as well. Like this was an Islanders team that thought they could compete, thought they were good. That Penguins team, when they rolled out 19 year old Mark Andre Fleury, like they were trying to tank. They were, they were looking to get Crosby and, and keep getting the high draft picks so that they could end up with a Crosby and a Malkin combination for years like and win a couple cups. Well, well, that and and that gets called the Pittsburgh model sometimes. Yeah, right? that you're yeah. you know you're going to get a good goalie, you're going to get a good defenseman, you're going to get yeah. a couple of solid forwards, yeah. and then put the goalie in, the give him the experience, get the high draft picks because he's not going to win you thirty something games. Yeah, but it, as long it, as he has a, a two six goals against average in year one, that's a pretty good start. Yeah, and, and and it's a real fine balancing act between you know putting him in and, you know, making sure his confidence doesn't get totally rocked. He doesn't start to feel like he doesn't belong there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, it's a, it's a tough balancing act. And frankly, if I was bringing in a Rick DiPietro into the league, I wouldn't remind, I wouldn't mind having a Roberto Luongo there to compete with slash mentor him. Yeah. 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 It would have been, it would have been interesting to see, 
you know, would he have had the Hall of Fame career? Because, I mean, really, when he went to Florida, I feel like he was a big reason for Florida having some, you know, minor success at that time. But really, it took off, obviously, in Vancouver when he ended up having that, uh, you know, many solid playoff series and runs and put up some great numbers in the postseason and fell one game short of winning the elusive cup. Yeah. In an insane series with the Bruins there. Yeah. Uh, yeah Could have gone any way. <laughs> yeah. And, and he didn't get any, uh, any playoff experience until he was with the Canucks that whole time he was with Florida, you know, he was okay, but the rest of the team, yeah. not yeah, so much. It's, it's the Panthers uh, in the 2000s. His, his last appearance in the playoffs is was 2016. Uh, he, the Panthers got eliminated in the first round game six overtime. Do you remember who they were playing? It's the uh, Islanders what again. 2016. Oh, that was John Tavares overtime winner in game six. So it's funny how it all comes back around to them. Full circle. His last playoff game ends up against a team that he never sniffed the playoffs with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, congratulations to him. I, I like him. Um, him going in also confirms that next year we'll have uh, another goalie going in that might have screwed other goalies getting into the Hall of Fame because I don't think hockey, I don't think the NHL um, would happily put in multiple goalies in a season. If I, they can't put more than one female player into the Hockey Hall of Fame in a year, <laughs> there's I, I, no way they're doing that. Yeah, and we'll get to that. Uh, goalies famously underrepresented uh, minority. So yeah. to <laughs> to kind of compare what their careers were like, Roberto Luongo uh, played 1,044 games. Excuse me. Uh, has uh, see one, two, three, four, five, six All Star appearances to show for it. Uh, maybe not ever the best at his position, but I feel like when they talk about being the best at your position, they're usually talking about skaters because mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to be named to the all-star team when you're one of three forwards or one of two defensemen that are starting up there uh, versus, you know, goalies. There's 32 of them and you can only pick one each year. Yeah. Uh, he, he had some... He had his two Olympic gold medals. He uh, has World Cup hockey, uh, has a, a World Junior medal under his belt. So there's a lot that he had to show for his career. And I feel like, like the way you're starting off here, you want me to compare that to Henrik Lundqvist. What? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't mind. Actually, I know I'm throwing you a curveball on this, but... Uh, Lundqvist is a sure Hall of Fame first year, get in next year when he goes on. There's no doubt about that. Uh, just where he stands accolades-wise, the fact that we're this whole class doesn't have a cup means that no cup is not going to hurt Lundqvist. But the one I'm more curious about, actually, is Curtis Joseph in him. Curtis Joseph? Because right. I always feel Curtis Joseph has been an, a, a very undervalued player for the career that he had and if i recall he's up there as well he like you know obviously he's been surpassed by like flurry and and luongo and and guys like that that kept playing but i feel like for a long time he was one of the top like five top six uh career wins for goalie 
Wings. Absolutely. Detroit Red Wings legend Curtis Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> he uh he Toronto played... fan base just through the phone. <laughs> uh yeah, so uh Curtis Joseph had 943 career games played. Uh he bounced around a whole lot more than Luongo or uh or Lundquist did. Uh, he, oddly enough, he started his career with St. Louis. He played for them for six years into the 94-95 season. And then he plays 15 games for the Las Vegas Thunder for some reason in the IHL. Don't know what that was about. But then it goes on to play for Edmonton, Toronto, Detroit, Phoenix. Uh, ended his career in Toronto, which was probably nice for him. Uh, but as far as the accolades go for him uh no vesna trophies no vesna nominations even oh, wow. even uh he was a three-time all-star which you know can help a bit uh but outside of that you know no playoff success with anybody no uh you know there the he played at a really weird time for goalies granted throughout the 90s there was if you weren't one of three you were kind of a non-factor uh, I think his longevity deserves to be recognized because that 943 is uh, is really something as far as number of games played. And yeah. games started, no less. Uh, he's in the St. Louis Blues Sports Hall of Fame. So that's nice for him. But right. as far as the, the Hockey Hall of Fame, it's hard to say. Uh, it, the no accolades hurts. Yeah, it really, really does. Uh, but, you know, he... The committee, you know, has the capability to be kind of, uh, you know, fickle about stuff like that. And if he, uh, you know, if yeah. 450 wins, eventually they say that's uh, important enough, then yeah, I guess. Like, to me, it's always, it's not supposed to be the Hall of Very Good. It's supposed to be the Hall of Fame. And it's not, and the other key part to that is not just the NHL Hall of Fame, but the Hockey Hall of Fame. So, yeah. So if there were a bunch of world championships under his belt or Olympic gold or stuff like that, I would be able to understand that a lot better. Uh, but he hasn't played since 08, 09. And uh, given what his uh, career shows for itself, uh, I can kind of see why he hasn't been put in yet. Yeah. I Well, you threw out the number that I was thinking. He had the uh, over 450 career wins. Because yeah. I knew that he sat up there on the wins list. But for whatever reason, and maybe it was just because, as you said, it, it was the time of the 90s where if you weren't Marty Brodeur, Patrick Waugh, or Dominic Hashing, who really cared? Yeah. Um, you know, but that's why I always remembered, like, he was always sneaky good, but the no accolades. I thought he at least had done something when he played for team Canada or something like that, you know, cause like that's the other thing that Lundqvist has. Well, he doesn't have the cup. He's got the gold medal. Uh, he's got uh, a couple, uh, uh, plenty of international awards and oh, championships, yeah. uh, as well as a Vesna and was nominated multiple times for Vesna. Oh, so yeah. was always at least in the conversation for top three goalie. Uh, yeah. if not the top goalie where, Cujo, I guess, I guess, unfortunately, because again, it was the nineties never stood out enough to get past the other three. 
Yeah, and realistically, if he was going to be considered a Hall of Famer, you would expect there to at least be Vesna nominations. Yes. At some point in his career to at least have come third to Wah or uh, Brodeur at some point for it. Uh, it looks like he only ever played in one uh, Olympic game, too. Wow. But but again, oh, Marty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For with the yeah, that that was a thing. I Marty and Wah. <laughs> yeah, and that was the thing I always heard for uh, Brodeur is that if he was going to be on an Olympic team, he had to start every game. He didn't yeah. want to share the crease with anybody for it. So that could that could have had something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? But still, an interesting comparison. Um, but yeah, sorry. I, I tried to make the case for Cujo. Um, he's not Hall of Fame worthy. But Luongo yeah, I, is, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. He Luongo should be in the Hall of Fame for his Twitter alone, much less his playing career. <laughs> All right. And uh now I guess uh you want to just go right into the Sedines or Danny Alfredson? Yeah, we can do the Sedines. Okay. Um there's a lot to say about them. Uh you know, yes, we talked we talked a little bit about being the best at at their position and to which i would always point out uh henrik sedin won the art ross in 2010 and he was also a first team all-star in 2010 2011 so it so when i say you know the sedins absolutely belong there uh i like to make sure that i'm fulfilling my you know bare minimum uh practice there uh, so when the Sedins were getting ready to come into the league, the year was 1999, and they had been very adamant that they wanted to play together. And so they were trying to figure out a way to make that happen. And I've broken a lot today. I apologize. Uh, and their agent was, you know, looking at some particular ways uh, they could just not sign with the team that drafted them, in which mm -hmm. case they would have to wait two years to sign with somebody else. Or uh, one of them, you know, Henrik or Daniel could have just opted out of the draft. And with the hope that the team that drafted one of them that first year would then draft the other one the second year. Uh, but they didn't have to do either one of those uh, because of our old friend, Brian Burke. Uh, gen general manager of the Vancouver Canucks at the time. Uh, it took me a while to nail down all the moves he had to make to make this happen. Uh, would you like to hear what they were? Because it's kind of cool. Okay. So uh, he starts with the third overall pick. Uh, Tampa is dra drafting first overall that year. And uh, Atlanta is drafting second. So the first thing he has to do is he has to try to load up on a few more picks to kind of sweeten the deal a bit. Uh, he sends Brian McCabe and their 2000 uh, first round pick to Chicago uh, for the fourth overall pick that year. So now Vancouver has a third and the fourth. Uh Ron Dudley at the time was managing the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he was adamant that he was probably going to get one of the Sedines. So now Brian Burke has to find a way to get him to not do that. 
Uh, so he takes that fourth overall pick. He sends it to Tampa for their first overall and then gets uh, includes two thirds along with it to Tampa. So at this point, he has the first and the third still isn't totally guaranteed he can get both Sedins that way. So he takes the first overall pick, trades it to Atlanta for the second overall pick and a conditional third. And that condition being that he that uh, Atlanta would not select either Henrik or Daniel. So to summarize that, Vancouver sends Brian McCabe next year's first and two thirds out the door. In the door, they get Henrik, Daniel, and a conditional third. And I even went went and looked uh, at who all those third round picks ended up being, and I can very confidently say no one of any consequence. That is GM 101 on how you absolutely pull off deals and score yourself two of the best players in a draft in one year by giving up some capital. But the way that you say that, they got Daniel and Henrik Sedin and a conditional third for a first, a fourth, and a couple thirds. Like, and and uh, it's it really takes some stones to trade the next year's pick, right? Because because you have no idea how your team's going to interact. You don't know how lottery balls are going to end up falling. That's that's a tough thing to do. Were they even doing the lottery though in the two thousand? Because uh, I feel like that was a post um, that was a post lockout. I thought that may, you know what I think you're right. I think that is a post lockout. Yeah, thing. it Good was call. it was just tank for for first not tanking yeah. the balls uh they the pick that they traded for 2000 to the blackhawks ended up being like seventh or eighth overall i think and chicago used it to select pavel vorbiev who, who? exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well um yeah that is a heck of gming by brian burke yeah uh, which yeah just incredible and yeah i mean you added two guys there that both put over a thousand points on the board for their team respectively and i'm also really curious where they would have ended up in their careers if they got to play 0405 and it wasn't locked out not to mention we also had the other shortened season that they played through but these yeah. are two guys that put up over a thousand points in their career and missed an entire season of hockey. Yeah, and uh, Daniel was injured for an entire season too, so, and he still ended up at thirteen hundred games. Uh, Henrik was right around thirteen thirty, so he had a heck of. They both had just incredible careers there as well, and for and to do it, you know, being able to kind of write their own ticket to a certain degree. Uh, and, and be able to say that, you know, we really want to play together and we're willing to go to these lengths to be able to do that. Uh, I, I th again, that takes some stones too. And yeah, the, and uh, well, I was also going to say, and the fact that they both constantly kept taking hometown deals, yeah, to stay together and also let Vancouver be competitive and go out and make additions around them. Yeah, and, and it was funny how much they tried to build around that because the Van, the Vancouver Canucks were a playoff team their first year. Uh, they, they spent more seasons in the playoff hunt than out of it. 
and they always uh they would always try to lo- load them up with a really physical player you know they played with todd bertuzzi mm-hmm. or this or that or stuff like that uh and they would go on to eventually uh, not find that real sustained success until they kind of sat down and said, look, we don't need a big bruising guy to play with us. We ju- you know, if you put us with a halfway decent scorer, as long as, you know, they can figure out how to play with us, we can do that. You know, you yeah. don't need to buy into the stereotype that, uh, you know, Europeans aren't that physical, which, you know, they sometimes aren't. But uh, it wasn't until they really put them with Mason Raymond on the top line with them. Uh, famous for being name dropped in How I Met Your Mother, that they really went on to uh, to have sustained playoff success and kind of go deeper into multiple rounds that way. Yeah, it's I'm looking at the numbers for um, Daniel. Uh-huh. Man, you ever want to talk about people overreacting to uh, rookies coming up and not not having great careers right out of the gate and putting up a hundred points, 34 points in his first season, 32 in his second, 31 in his third. So he was regressing and he played more games in year two and three than he did in year one. Yeah. Then all of a sudden in year four, he has 54. Then there's the lockout. Then they come back 71 and he doesn't go under 70 points. He ends up having a hundred points uh, in a season winning an art rose. Uh, and then he has 67 points after his hundred point season. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't freak out. If you have a rookie (laughs) on your team, that's in its second or third year. And they're only putting up 30 points because if they were drafted high and they're good players, they're still going to turn into that good player. And I, I have Henrik stats in front of me. He led the league in assists from 2009 to 2012. So that's a pretty intense uh, way of saying that you're at the top of your game. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So yeah, the Sedins were, I mean, God, I loved watching Vancouver hockey games when they were on TV because the, the Sedins were just so good. And, and again, this is, as I said, this is a year where the four NHLers going in, none of them won a Stanley cup, which used to be, that's great. You could have all the accolades, but if you never got the cup, you don't get to go in. But seeing the Sedins go in, uh, again, they fell one game short in that Bruins uh, Stanley Cup final. It's good to see them go in. They were they were really good for hockey. They were great for Vancouver hockey. Uh, you, but they're really did, uh, good for hockey. Did you ever see the commercial really on early on in their career? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. For for those that don't know what I'm talking about, uh, the it's uh, a, clearly a bachelor party in their in a <laughs> hotel room. A guy says, "Oh yeah, we got Swedish twins coming," and then there's a knock at the door, and they open the door, and the Sedins walk in in full uh, in a full hockey pads and outfit and everything, and someone just kind of presses the button on a boombox, and they start dancing a little. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh that was that was a good uh that's a great commercial. It's better than the one I remember Mark Messier doing in Vancouver with the chips and fighting the neighbor, uh which pretty much sums up Mark <laughs> Messier's time in Vancouver. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Canucks, Canucks fans love to remember the times of of the Sedines. Uh, Mark Messier, maybe not as much. Yeah, no, 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 no. But, uh, you know, good for the Sedines wins. Uh, good for good for hockey. Uh, they yeah. I'm I'm happy for them that they're yeah they were they're they're no doubt about it those who absolutely deserve to be in the hockey hall of fame yeah I I, I kind of always hoped that they put them on one plaque together but they're going to treat them as their own individual human beings which is all right I guess I guess we can accept that we all know that's not true though oh of <laughs> course not we'll accept what the what they try to pull up there in Toronto yeah. This woke society going to make us yeah. treat twins as different people. How dare they? Um, all right. I guess that takes us to the uh, fourth and final. Uh, well, not the final. There are others going into the Hockey Hall of Fame, but uh, NHL player wise. Um, Daniel Alfredson. Shall we talk about him or shall we just give our thoughts about him going into the Hockey Hall uh, of Fame? Yeah, I was, I was really torn on Daniel Alfredson going in there because it, because he was never really the best at his position. Uh, he, when they were listing his accolades, which he has plenty of a lot of all-star game appearances. Uh, he won a uh, Calder trophy. Uh, they mentioned the Mark Messier leadership award. Oh, that award. Yeah. If you have to bring that up to someone's Hall of Fame accolades, that's a problem. Uh, but I, I, the more you look at it, the more uh, that Daniel Alfredson should is a pretty good forward to put in there just based on his international career. Uh, he, you know, hung around uh, Selkie voting one year, hung around Lady Bing voting one year, uh, th- but... Uh, overall, 1,246 games played, 444 goals scored. Uh, but what really made made up for him was, A, being the longtime Ottawa Senators captain, mm-hmm. uh, seven world championships, uh, two World Cup of Hockeys, five Olympics, uh, gold medal 2006, silver in 20, 2014. Uh, never a first-team all-star. But for what he means to the Senators and what he means to Sweden, I can I can kind of see why they would put him in. Yeah, he is definitely a player that at the end of the day, when you look at his numbers, unlike the Sedins, where you look at it and you're like, wow, wow, wow. OK, this makes sense. He's definitely a little more borderline, but I think you make a great point. <laughs> and I think that's what helped him is that he has a lot of international success, a lot of that, but he was essentially the face of the Ottawa senators in this new reincarnation of the senators when they came back in what 92, 93. And then he was drafted like a year later, six overall pick as well. Want to say that that's pretty impressive to put up a career. He did at that spot, but led the team, in goals and points, uh, I believe it was the 95 season. And then the next year helps lead them to the playoffs for the first time in this version of the Senator, Senators franchise history. Now, as far as playoff success goes for Ottawa, they did have that cup run. Well, not they didn't end with the cup, but they got, you know. They, yeah, it was so impressive. Yeah, you know. Oh, wait. No, yeah, because they beat the Capitals, right? Yeah, they so went they to the cup final in 
Uh, that was 2000. No, not six. Yeah, it's 2000, always 2006. It's, it's 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 always the forgotten Stanley Cup final to me. The year that they went there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like the forgotten one is Oilers Hurricanes when the league first came back. No, that, that was 2006. 2007 is when they did it because they did against Anaheim and they lost. That's right. That's what it was. So yeah. So so they got to a Cup final. Um. Yeah, those first two post a lockout. Holy crap. <laughs> Dude, I have it here in my notes, 2007, and, and I still struggled to remember which well, year it was. We're throwing uh, a lot of numbers and a lot of dates and a lot of, you know, trying to remember how many years ago now. But I, I yeah. think that's what led to Alfredson getting this Hall of Fame call. It's It's not the sexiness of this is a guy that led the league. He was an Art Rose or, or any of that. Uh, this is just a guy that was so good that he helped make the Senators relevant. Uh, unfortunately, we're now at a part with the Ottawa Senators where we're like, please let Deadpool buy the team. <laughs> but for a long stretch, as long as he was playing, there was respect to the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and the... The one thing that we may kind of overlook because we almost take it for granted now is uh, a captain of an NHL team to be European born or European trained. Yeah, especially because when you look over kind of his milestones in 2007, he was the first European born and trained captain to take a team to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Now, here's fun trivia for you. Do you know the first cap- European-born and trained captain to win a Stanley Cup final? Um, I'm going to guess uh, Detroit. Yep, Nicholas Lidstrom, 2008, the very next year. Uh, but, you know, for, for him to be in that leadership position in Ottawa for as long as he was, you and I might take that for granted, but that was probably a very big deal to other European players and a very big deal to Canada having the team in the nation's capital as they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the thing. It's, he really did. He, he stands for Canada. It makes sense. He's, he's a likable guy, but again, I, you know, I, I, I can't hate it. I can't hate it. I find yeah. it is a little, you know, it is one of those where I'm always going to look at it and go, you, you didn't make it because you ever led the league in anything. He he only broke 100 points, I believe, once. He had a 103-point season. I think it was 05, 06. Yeah, and, and, you, uh, and, and he usually there's a... Year. So, you know, he's been, he, was gr- he was great at times, but... And, and there, I, it, I think, there's, I, usually, I, I, there's usually a point that they would hit to where it seems like, you know, everyone in the Hall of Fame has to hit X, be it 500 goals or uh, 1,200 points or something like that. He still had 1,157 points, so it's certainly nothing to sniff at. Uh, but, you know, when you take into account his international play, uh, that I think that really kind of makes the case for his Hall of Fame, Candace. Uh, I also want to throw out, because I see this number in front of me as well, um, in the period from 2000, and 2001 to, to 08, 09, he scored 723 points. That was third during that stretch of time behind only Joe Thornton, who had 823, and Aginla with 724, and Aginla's in. 
So, yeah. you know, yeah, and kind of got to give it to him there. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it is just it could it could also be the fact that it was Ottawa. Let's be real. As much as yeah. I'm like, they were successful with him, but were you and it, I, or really many of us, searching Ottawa Senators games even when they were a successful team? Pr- probably not, but that probably says more about me than it does the Senators at the time. Uh, yeah. I th- I think it's <laughs> kind of funny that similar to Mike Madonna, uh plays his last season in Detroit, uh, got uh, kind of fed up with uh, uh, with the Senators and apparently had some bad blood with Eugene Melnick. And now that Eugene Melnick has passed on, he's suddenly doing uh, promotional events with the team again. I just hmm. think it's interesting. That is a little interesting. Uh, but yeah, uh, congratulations to Detroit Red Wing legend Daniel Alfredson. <laughs> We'll keep that bit going. <laughs> um, all right. So those were the uh, four players heading in uh, to the Hockey Hall of Fame. By the time you heard this, they t- they said their speeches. They were probably wonderful. They were tearful. Everybody was happy. There was celebration, uh, lots of champagne, and the Sedin stole the show. More than likely. Uh, did yeah. you did you see the uh, the Hall of Fame game that they played? No, they they do like a exhibition game every year and they put Luongo at forward. Oh, that's fun. He scored a goal, so he still got it. Uh, Next that's being inducted in is Rika Salian. Do you know much about Rika? I do not know much about Rika. So so please tell tell me a little bit about her. I know that she's dominant in the women's world of hockey. Yeah, I I did not know much about her. I'll fully confess because I do not follow the women's game nearly as closely. uh, And rather than acting sanctimonious about the women about women's hockey, I will just fully admit I do not follow it as close while I still try to respect it as much as I can. Yeah, Uh, it's it's actually uh, I will say this. I actually am much more interested in watching women's hockey than I ever was with the WNBA. I just wish the NHL, I just wish it was more accessible. I can't yeah. find it. It doesn't, it's not easily accessible. It's great during the Olympics, especially. I it is. It that. is. I love watching it during the Olympics. That's what makes me more interested in wanting to watch more of it when, when they have their season going, but you just can't find it. Yeah. Uh, but Rika Salian is, quite possibly the greatest non-North American player in the women's game. Uh, She is Finnish. She is the first uh, woman going into the Hall of Fame that is, again, European-born and European-trained, which the women's game every year, it's almost like doing the tournament is pointless because almost every world championship and every Olympics just ends up with a USA-Canada final. Yeah. So it, which makes a lot of sense, uh, at least when it started out, because compared to some of these other nations, women playing sports wasn't as encouraged in a lot of other countries as it was in North America, at least in the U.S. and Canada. So it makes sense that they would be the two really dominant superpowers and other countries are taking a while to get caught up, but they're they are getting caught up for sure. Uh, but back to Rika, uh, she, her career was really interesting because she started playing in the nineties. Uh, I want to say it was 98, 99. I should probably have this in front of me. Uh, but what's super interesting about her career 
is uh, she had a lingering knee issue, uh, had concussion issues. Uh, in 2003, she hangs it up, calls it a career, goes on to become a physical therapist. Uh, that That's the cool part. It's like while doing all this, oh, yeah, she still needed a day job. <laughs> yeah. uh, has two kids. 2013 uh, says, uh, says, you know what? I'm uh, I'm feeling frisky. I'm going to get back into it. Plays for four more years, 119 points in 92 games. She's showing Michaels that ass. Yep. She was like, you know what? I lost my spot and my smile. I got to step away. I'm not happy anymore. Bye. And then uh, all of a sudden, Triple H gave a call and she was like, you know what? Let's get DX back together again. Go have some fun. Uh, and had a nice little uh, farewell run there. Okay, I think we started to lose the plot a little. But, uh... <laughs> that's for the that's for our wrestling fans. Okay, I know. I know. So and, and the she uh... called out the Undertaker <laughs> twice. <laughs> Kicked Ric Flair that one time. Uh... I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so. So the other cool thing, the the side note though is like she played in the Swedish uh, women's league, and just like so much about Swedish hockey is so cool. Uh, the team she played for is called HV seventy one, which has a men's team too. I just think like as far as team names go, just having something like that sounds like so futuristic and stuff. I love it. Uh, but yeah, despite taking nearly a decade off. She is at the time that she retired, she was still the highest scoring European player in women's hockey, which is nuts. And she came back and was like, let me just keep adding to my totals. That would be like Gretzky coming out of retirement. Yeah. Or Gordy. (laughs) Uh, But, but the, the, the thing that always bugs me a little when it comes to women being inducted to the hall of fame is uh I, is i'm pretty sure they try to limit it to six people each year they want to have at least one builder most years so you'll see mm-hmm. a coach or a gm or someone like that go in uh there's no rule that says only one woman can go in each year and yet every year it seems like well we're gonna fulfill this quota and then we're good yeah it's a weird because there are there like last year essentially could have put in more than one woman and it would have been fine Uh, there's no need to just do the well one and done uh and i think this year right there's only five uh total with uh uh five players and a posthumous uh builder okay i have on my list as well okay Uh, oh yeah so they they hit their six but yeah, there's the. I don't know why the NHL, because it's kind of like what I teased earlier with the goalie situation, where they'll never not just put in, you know, they'll never put in more than one goalie in a year. It's only going to be one goalie. So once they fill that quota, okay, that's checked off. Now let's fill the others as far as players. Like, it's weird. You know, Hall of Fame votes are always weird and always going to cause some type of controversy for the most part. But, it, but I really feel like hockey's is. For as we for as bad as it is to only do the one and done with the women, I actually think the NHL does a better job with their Hall of Fame than say Major League Baseball. Well, uh, well who's just totally decided that they're going to exclude a whole era of the sport because some players might have used steroids and might not have. Well, and I would also say And we're gonna mind, act like that they didn't sell that as a selling point for the sport as well in that time. 
Well, and I would also say, keep in mind, the Hockey Hall of Fame is independent from the NHL. So it's not, it's one of And that's why, points well, then that's why all those, yeah, it, well, and yeah, and it's always the international success. What did they do in the Olympics? What did they do in junior? Well, and, and what's kind of cool about, uh, yeah, you know, national championships. Yeah, and what's kind of cool about the museum itself, too, is they have a whole section that's just dedicated to uh, international players players or international teams. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they, the hope, hopefully as you start to see a little bit more, uh, you know, there's a more equal proportion of women and men being inducted – uh, you know, I don't I don't think you need a set of quota of every year. It's three male f- players, three female players. Mm-hmm. But there's there's no shortage of other women that are eligible and would make good inductees. And it's it, it would be nice to see more of that, I think. Yeah, agreed. And, and I mean, like, well, when you look at next year's ballot, you know, they're really the only big name on next year's ballot. Like you have Keith Kachuk back again on the ballot who I think absolutely deserves to be in the hall of fame, 538 goals, uh, 1,065 points in 1,201 games. Plus he's got accolades as well. He played all stars. He played for team America. So he has Olympic success that he showed, but you know, Kachuk is one of the sexier names on that list for next year. You could argue Rob Brendamore, who people have been talking about, mainly because of his coaching that's gotten him back in the spotlight. But that's a guy who had two Selkie trophies as well as 1,184 points and a Stanley cup. We talked about that Canes cup in 06, a forgotten Stanley cup, but he got the cup with them as a captain. Yeah. You know, they don't ask so, how they ask how many exactly, you know, but Lundquist really honestly, and that is not me even being like a, I'm a Rangers fan. I'm a, we all have been saying it since Lundquist started setting records that that guy was going to be a Hall of Famer whenever he retired. He is going in first ballot for sure. Yeah. Outside and, of that, though, who else, player-wise, I don't know if you have the list up of who's eligible, but really, I like, you know, those are only two other ones that I think might make a good case. I, I think Zetterberg is up as well, but... Yeah, I, Zetterberg is, know, is a little borderline to me, but I feel like... Uh, this, this is going to sound really elitist, but I feel like as a Red Wings fan, you got spoiled on a lot of stuff Uh, on, on any other team. Henrik Zetterberg (laughs) might have a really strong case in Detroit. I feel like you look at it and go, okay, one con Smythe. Okay. One, you know, Calder nominated, like, but how many cups? One. He was only there for one of their cups. Yeah, he was uh he was there for 2008 of uh, he may have he may have played a couple games in 2002 actually now that I think about it. But it, it you get what I'm saying though, right? It, it yeah. seems like it's not as as significant as other like retired Red Wings player numbers or stuff like that. I, I agree with you on that. I also would make the argument of how many players from the dynasty run of the Islanders are in are in the hall of fame that don't deserve to be there or have their numbers retired that really don't deserve it, but got the rub from being on a dominant team. How many Canadians players are in there that do not deserve to be in there that got the rub from being on all those championship teams. So Zetterberg could get the rub just from the fact that 
Detroit was just so damn dominant for so long. And he was a part of that dominance and it led to another cup for that dominant run, even with him there. But when we, when we talk about, uh, you know, everyone in comparables, uh, his, it, you know, for what he means to Sweden could carry him a, a ways too. Yeah. Uh, he's got international it, success as well. Yeah, right. But 337 goals, 960 total points. As far as Hall of Fame totals go, kind of on the low side. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but we also were just talking about Danny Alfredson. Yeah. And Alfredson did way more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, I think Alexander McGillney would be a cool one to see just because in the NA, there's only been six players that have ever scored more than 75 goals in a season. And five of them are in the hall of fame. The only one left out is Alexander McGillney. So I think that would be cool to see. Okay. So we, so we came out with, Two, you know, Lundqvist sure fired McGinley, maybe. Then uh, who's to say you don't put two women in there now? Yeah, you could you could definitely see Caroline Ouellette going in next year. Uh, you know, especially for everything that she's meant to Quebec and to Canada. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the Haley Wickenheiser and Jay, Jaina Helford uh, often mentioned in the same sentence as her. They're both in the Hall of Fame. Uh, on the American side, Megan Duggan could be a really good candidate. Uh, you know, 10 years playing for the program, finally getting that gold medal in 2018, serving as the captain for for Team USA. There's a lot to like there. Um, are you and I kind of on the same page that uh, Patrick Eliash, no, like, no way, right? I, there's n- Again, I could only see him getting in there because – he might have two cups, I believe. Yeah, 2000, 2003. And it, that's the only thing that I could see that they're going to say carries weight. But outside of that, did he even get to 1,000 points? I don't. I think it, he was somewhere around the 900 and done. 1,025. Oh, he did. Wow, he did break 1,000 points. Yeah, in four, 408 goals. So that plays home a lot, but I, I don't know how much he is a Hall of Fame candidate so much as he is a – New Jersey Devils Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's he's a Devils legend, but I don't think of those like when I think of their cup teams, I'm not thinking I'm 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 yeah thinking Stevens. I'm thinking Niederreiter when he was there as well. Broder, yeah. Uh, and Marty, you know, I, I'm that's who I'm thinking. Hell, I'm even thinking John uh, McLean. John McLean. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think it was John McLean, but McLean. I you know, I remember that because of Die Hard. Uh, yeah. You know, so like I'm, I'm thinking some other players. I'm thinking Den Can, uh, Ken Danico. When I'm thinking the yeah. the, the, the Devils Cup teams, as opposed to Eliash. So, yeah, I I don't know, but again, those those two cups could give him the bump, and the fact that he's over a thousand points, uh, goals list wise, though only the 400. Uh, he's that doesn't make him even like top 30 because I think, uh, because I said Kachuk at the over 500 and he's like yeah. 36 or something. Let, let me let me throw this out there Corey Crawford. If Lundquist wasn't on the ballot, I think yeah. he would be the goalie going in because of how dominant Chicago was. And they'll be like, well, if and and he, I, he has a Vesna as well, right? Or at least was nominated. Um, I, I want to say he had a Vesna 
in there somewhere. Uh, I and and I will fully admit, uh, for a while, I kind of said, you know, Crawford is the Chris Osgood of the Blackhawks. He was good, not great, and uh, as he continued to play, he really proved me wrong with that. Uh, 488 games played, though, for Chicago, which wow. seems low as far as goalies go, but it, a remarkable save percentage, remarkable goals against average, even though that's more of a team stat than an individual stat. Uh, two Stanley Cups. Uh, it was, you know, good, good, good career there. I'm not certain hall of fame worthy but yeah. uh I, th I think he's if if he had won that first cup with chicago I'd, I'd say you can't turn down a goalie with three cups you got to put him in okay uh, well here's well here's um i want to flip this for a second when he does retire and he ends up on the ballot jonathan quick i i think you have to for jonathan quick yeah if if nothing else for being the most uh, decorated American goalie of all time, right? That was going to be my thing is that yeah. because, because to me, I feel like quick and Crawford, we might be able to make the best comparison of them during this era of hockey in the sense of they both have the two cups. They both were a part of some really good teams there for a while. They both put up some good numbers. I think quick, quick definitely had a Vesna. That is for sure. Like I, I am 100% certain on that, that he definitely won that Vesna uh, the first year they won the cup. Cause he was playing just out of his freaking mind that season. Yeah, uh, uh, and I think he'd been nominated as well another time. So to me, they're kind of the hand in hand one, but yeah, I, I wouldn't think of quick as a hall of famer except for the fact that he's going to go down in history as the best American goalie of all time, which yeah, America, so, we need to produce a really good goalie. So <laughs> silver medal in 2010, three Stanley or uh, three uh, all-star appearances, two Stanley cups, one con Smythe, no Vesna. No Vesna. Two Jennings I, I trophies, swore to but no Vesna. God he won the Vesna that year. I swore he won the Vesna the year that they won the cup that first year. Also, did that's I say why he, got the he had three cups? Uh, you were starting to, but you fixed it to three all-stars. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I meant a little before that. I'm dumb, but anyone that listens to the show already knew that. Yeah, they're uh, listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I know we're getting towards the end here. Uh, yeah. Can I talk about Herb Carnegie a little? Because he was inducted yes. as a builder, and I feel like his story is really important as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll just make this the big Hall of Fame episode, a celebration yeah. of the inductees. Yeah. Oh, it's a big week in the NHL. We did not talk about it whatsoever. I mean, uh, really? So... Okay, what do we want to talk about from the week of the NHL, all right? Everybody's still kind of clustered in the East and the Metropolitan Divisions. Uh, the Bruins still haven't figured out anything from their stupid screw-up. And... Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> and there's a lot of injuries. Huberdeau's back. Uh, Lane's out. Uh, who else is out? <laughs> oh, boy. That's a long list. Yeah. Uh, Here, so, you do that. I'll find out who else is out. All right. At the end. <laughs> uh, so, the, so the last person in this uh, inductee class was Herb Carnegie, who was always known as uh, the 
best black player to never play in the NHL. And for a period of time, probably the best player to never play in the NHL. This guy was insanely good and just had a enraging story uh, that if you go back and read it now, uh, he grew up around Toronto and the guy always dreamed of playing for the Maple Leafs. That was, you know, his one big thing. He was the son of Jamaican immigrants. Uh, He just had a natural athletic talent and growing up around Toronto really wanted to do that. Uh, Con Smythe, the Leafs general manager at the time for whom the trophy is named, once famously said, I'll pay $10,000 to anyone that can turn Herb Carnegie white. And that's not a jab at the Maple Leafs because I will wholeheartedly say Detroit probably would have done the same thing if they were scouting him at the time. But this was 1938 is when that comment was made. And so the, the, the thing that bugged me the most is that happened to him as he was a junior player and his coach specifically told, told Herb Carnegie that Con Smythe said that. I'm like, why would you tell him that? Like, what is wrong with you? Well, back then they thought it was a compliment. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, But he goes on to play in the Quebec Senior League and in 1942 uh, joins uh, his brother and another gentleman, uh, Ossie Carnegie his brother, Ozzie Carnegie, and Manny uh, McIntyre to be the first all-black line uh, in semi-pro hockey. They were called the Black Aces because they played for the uh, Quebec Junior uh, Senior Aces, rather, uh, and just had a huge impact in the game there, uh, was invited to Rangers training camp in 1948, uh, was only offered a minor league contract, and it would have been a, despite uh, accounts at the time saying, hands down, uh, best player at camp, uh, three-time MVP for the Quebec Senior League, and uh, was only offered a minor league deal, be, despite standing head and shoulders above everybody else. And again, not a jab at the Rangers. Red Wings probably would have done the same thing if they had them, or any team in the league for that matter. Uh, but original sixes yeah and and it was such a pay cut in the minors compared to semi-pro in quebec that he couldn't take it so he never played in the ranger system either uh went on after his career uh personally i feel like if i experienced something like that i would be insanely bitter uh about how my career had played out but he by all means is just, was the nicest guy anyone could have met he went on to found uh canada's first hockey school uh which was called the future aces a is what he did with his uh post-playing career and uh you know kind of sucks that they're doing this for him posthumously uh but it's it's nice that they're kind of going back and writing a wrong and uh it was really cool to see his grandson uh, they're kind of accepting the induction and everything on his behalf. Yeah, uh, it is nice that they're recognizing the history. They're recognizing him uh, still getting to be put into the Hockey Hall of Fame, even if it is, you know, uh, after death. It's still the recognition. And from this point forward, the story will be told and we'll be able to share yeah. the story from this point on. And that's what really matters at the end of the day as well. That's, 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 that's the point of these hall of fames as well is to keep telling the story and to share the history of this sport. And while, you know, we, we want to hope that the history of 
anything uh, sports-wise or just any form of history is positive and good, you got to talk about the negative sometimes. And sometimes the negative does lead to good as well. And, you know, this was a wrong. But as you said, it's been righted. He's there. He's going, he's, he's going in tonight. And he'll always be there now. And he'll always be a part of, uh, you know, the, the sport and the game. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, he he has a uh, autobiography that's called Fly in a Pail of Milk, mm-hmm. because that was the way someone once described him being the one black thing and something that was all white. So I, I won't act like I've read it, but especially knowing that he's being inducted to the Hall of Fame, I probably owe it to him to at least pick it up there. Yeah. And, and I will say that I do appreciate that he's the only builder being inducted because I feel like that puts a lot of the focus on him. Whereas when they finally got around to inducting Willie O'Ree, they mm. inducted Gary Bettman as a builder at the same time. And, and that just really rubbed me the wrong way. Like that didn't need to happen. He wasn't no. going anywhere. No. Like, <laughs> He's going to be around for many, many years. Yeah. Very long time. Um, yeah, any, anything in the NHL you want to talk about? Uh, well, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, Huberdu, uh, set to return. So Jonathan Huberdu is back. Patrick Line expected to miss three to four weeks. Uh, Jake Muzzin of the Maple Leafs is out indefinitely. TJ Brody's on the IR. Uh, Tanner Pearson is out four to six weeks following hand surgery. And, uh, the Edmonton Oilers of Ander Kane is going to miss three to four months after Pat Maroon skate, uh, cut his wrist, which, oh my God, that was a scary situation. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Yeah, I know nobody's going to feel bad for Evander Kane, but it's still the idea of seeing a skate cut a player is always, I don't care who it is, it's always going to uh, give my, my heart's going to beat a little extra. But yeah, yeah so so those are all the injuries. Uh, outside of that, there's really nothing else. I mean, do, do we want to touch on the no World Cup of Hockey next year? Um... I feel like we don't have enough time to really give it justice. Yeah. Uh, I do have a quick note about Columbus since you met, mentioned Patrick Line. Yeah. Uh, their injury list right now, Erica Branson's day-to-day. Uh, Patrick Line is out at least until the middle of December. Uh, Jakob Voracek is out, could be back soon. Sean Corrales out, could be back soon. Zach Wierenski, done for the year. Nick Blankenberg out until Christmas, Adam Boquist out until December, Justin Danforth shoulder injury uh, early on in the season is going to be out until May. Uh, Columbus may not have set out to tank this year, but the way those are stacking up, they may not have much of a choice. Yeah, well, if there's ever a year to tank, as I've heard from many people, this is the year to suck. So... Good Absolutely. for them accidentally falling into the sucking. Yeah, Although maybe. many of us knew they weren't going to be good. I, I think <laughs> we all expected them to bat to be bad, but no one expected them to be this bad. If that makes no, sense. no, 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 no. They really regress backwards. But uh, all right. Uh, all I'll say on the World Cup of Hockey thing is go read the story. If you're interested, go find out. Because uh, probably by next week, it's going to be old news and we might not be talking about it. So. Yeah, we might not. Uh, yeah. To summarize, it ain't happening. Yeah, and it ain't. that sucks. That's, yeah. And you can go read the story and learn more about it not happening. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Good week. Fun week. All right. It was. Before we go, 
You want to plug anything, John? Uh, I am still on Twitter uh, at JT zero. And I'm still on Twitter as well. Wonderful underscore radio. You know, it is me. I have a blue check mark and mine says that it is not paid for. That's how you can find me. All right. Bye everybody. Later. I started drinking with me cousins. As far as I can tell, well, we never caused no trouble. In fact, we all worked out quite well. There was me and there was Billy making quite a scene with the beer and the buck and the whiskey and then many other things. The last week of October and we were by the falls in room number 32 right down the kitchen hall. My grandfather told me, it's in your Irish blood, you see, broke down the situation and here's what's wrong with me.